Welcome to Forever White Belt. I'm your host, Adolfo Fronda. Today on the show, I have Leslie Gardner. Leslie is a black belt, Pan American, and Masters world champion. Leslie is the co-owner of Deboa Jiu-Jitsu in Surprise, Arizona, with black belt husband Andrew Gardner. Leslie has been teaching an all-female BJJ class for over nine years, averaging 20 girls per class, and helps run the Deboa Kids BJJ classes as well. Leslie runs the Just a Girl in a Jiu-Jitsu World all-female jiu-jitsu website blog. Leslie may not be the most known or famous jiu-jitsu personality in the game, but much like my previous guest Yoshi and some others, she has an infectious personality that gravitates others to her. Being naturally magnetic and a connector is such a superpower when building a community and culture within an academy, and Leslie is another example of this. Just a reminder, please give us a five-star review on Apple Music and Spotify and share this podcast with a friend. It really helps us out. Please leave us feedback and suggestions on how we can improve the show and consider becoming a VIP member for only 99 cents a month. Yes, less than a dollar. To get ad-free episodes and more at anchor.fm forward slash forever white belt forward slash subscribe. Like us on Facebook and TikTok at forever white belt and check us out on Instagram at forever white belt show. Go buy your Forever White Belt swag at teespring.com forward slash forever dash white dash belt. That is teespring.com forward slash forever dash white dash belt. We have all kinds of clothing and merchandise there. Finally, if you ever get to beautiful Northern California, please come roll with us at Marin County's premier jiu-jitsu academy, North Bay Jiu-Jitsu, just north of San Francisco. There's amazing instructors there. Community's fantastic. Mention the podcast and get two weeks free. And with that, I give you Leslie Gardiner. Welcome to the show, Leslie. Hi, how are you? Good, thanks. Thanks so much for making the time and going through all our technical hurdles that we uh, that we <laughs> jumped through to get this. Thank you. Thanks for putting up with me and my lack of computer knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> So, Leslie, you know, one of the things we mentioned previously before recording was Jiu-Jitsu World League. One of the ways I did find out about you, surprisingly enough, was this little video that the Jiu-Jitsu World League had made with you doing a demo of a particular technique. And it was fantastic. And I was sort of enamored by the way you delivered it and your presentation and everything. I should also preface by saying Jiu-Jitsu World League is a tournament throughout, what, the West Coast? I, I'm not exactly sure, but they're all over the place. I know they're big in California as well. I know they they do stuff in Arizona and yeah. Texas, I believe. I don't know. So, Leslie, can you talk about that a little bit? How that come about? So, they came out once before. My husband did the video. And every time anyone asks me to do anything like that, I always say no, because I just am uncomfortable being on video, which is well, crazy. I, I teach in front of <laughs> I teach in front of the, the class and I'm fine with that, but I don't know. There's something I get stage fright. So this time I, I decided you. I was going to kind of, you know, push myself, push my limits and said, okay. And it wasn't terrible. <laughs> Leslie, let's talk about who you are. Number one, we heard about a little bit in the pre-show, but let's talk about Leslie. Is it Gardner? How do I pronounce your last name? That's correct. Gardner. And you're out of a place which is called Surprise, Arizona, which I, I was a surprise to me because this is California public school education uh, geography. So I know very little, uh, forgive me, people. So I learned that Surprise, Arizona is about 150,000 people. You have a fantastic academy there called Deboa Jiu-Jitsu, correct? Yes. You and your husband, yes. Andrew Gardner. Andrew Gardner. 
Can you tell us a little bit about your origins of jujitsu? So I have, well, he's 29 now, but I have a son who was 16 at the time and wanted to do MMA. And I was training at a fitness gym where we, I was just doing boxing and kickboxing. And I noticed the sign there one day that said MMA, brought him in. And he fell in love with jujitsu. He thought he wanted to be an MMA fighter, but he really loves jujitsu. And so I watched for a year while I did boxing and kickboxing and decided to get some of the girls in my group to join in and started training and fell in love with it. And they all quit. And I'm still here 12 years later, but <laughs> I love it. I was a gymnast. So that was a lot of it. I watched a lot of the inverting and cartwheels and crazy things like that and thought I could do this. So I fell in love and I quit doing everything else. I did kickboxing for a little while, but I felt like it was cutting into my jujitsu time. How'd you level up in terms of your belts and things like that? What, what academy were you at? So I was actually at Knockout Fitness, which is a cardio kickboxing gym here in Arizona. And they had a really small jujitsu program. There was a couple guys from Hawaii that were just kind of running it on the side. And I was the only girl. There was probably 10 of us total. And then we went over to CGMMA, which is also a one jujitsu affiliate. So there we're one jujitsu as well under Jiva Santana. So we started going there and there was a huge group and lots of people closer to my size. So I met my husband through jujitsu. At what point do you decide, let's open an academy? I was a purple belt and Andrew had just gotten his brown belt. And I don't know, we, we just wanted more time to ourselves and to be able to invest in the students. And we were doing a lot of that at the gym we were at. So we just kind of wanted something that was our own. And we started out in our garage. I think we had six or seven people. And believe it or not, almost all of them are still with us. It's been seven wow. years. We call them the garage warriors. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> so they stuck it out through that. And so we opened in the garage in 2014 and 2015, we opened our academy. We've had three locations now all in the same building. We've expanded three times. How'd you learn to tie okay. your belt? <laughs> so I was a purple belt and I had been tying it the same way for years. And my husband pulled aside another purple belt and I and told us we were doing it wrong and gave us a lesson. And I've been tying mine the same way since then. My husband doesn't tie his the same way anymore. <laughs> and he's the one that taught us. One of the things I've been super impressed with, uh, Deboa, is you have a great women's program. And I'm curious what advice you can give to other academy, other academies out there and academy owners out there that want to start a women's program and perhaps are struggling with their women's program. What kind of tips, advice? Because it seems like you've had such success with yours. I think a lot of it for me was when I got in, luckily. So I was a little bit ahead of the game in Arizona. There wasn't a lot of women. So when I started, you know, I had a few girls join and the more that would join, the more would join. So they'd see that, you know, we'd post a video, we have 20 girls in class. And so they would feel that comfort of coming to girls class. And we do that every Saturday and it's always free. And it's mm. kind of a trick, gets them in the door. Mm. They like the girls that are here. They're super welcoming. I'd say we have 50 women and we probably have some drama, but if so, I don't know about it. <laughs> so it's a great group of women. A lot of it is really, we're blessed to live in a town that's a lot of families. So we get the whole family a lot of times. So we're not in a college area with young people. We get the mm -hmm. kids, the mom, the dad, the cousin. <laughs> mm -hmm. What's unique about Dubai? It's that we're a lifestyle gym. So when you come in, it looks a little bit more. I'm, I'm actually in the gym right now. So behind me is a, a mural. We kind of went with like a spa type vibe. So it's mm -hmm. like, forget your troubles, escape your, your daily stresses when you walk in the door and relax. 
And saying that, we do still place usually in the top three at tournaments. So it's not that we're overly relaxed. We have a great competition team as well, but it's more about the lifestyle. And I want to do this for the rest of my life. Everything in here is, it's very calming. And, you know, the gym we came from was, and both of gyms I've trained out, like a lot of red and black and intenseness. And so our gym is actually almost all white. And then it has like a light teal and just has kind of a, if you were to go into a spa, wood floors where you feel like just relaxed. And, you know, we play a lot of beach style music. I'm not going to lie. We play some rap in the morning when the kids aren't in here, but mm-hmm. <laughs> good vibe music. And we try to keep that like just a nice vibe. It's very chill. Deboa yeah. actually means chill, like oh, good or chillin'. How did you guys manage through like 2020? It was not a lot of fun. I wish I could have known the outcome. And I think that I could have enjoyed the time a little bit more. We had another couple. They were both purple belts at the time. No, I'm sorry, purple and brown. And we met with them at the gym. You know, we snuck in the back door and just train for a couple of hours in the middle of the day. So I feel like I got some of the almost like private lessons, like the best training. But, Mm. you know, the stress of always feeling like you don't know if you're going to be able to keep your doors open took that part, the fun away from that, I guess. But we survived. We had a great group of people. We had a lot of people still pay gym memberships. We we canceled everyone's gym memberships immediately. So we didn't ask them to pay. And we had people just hitting us up and offerings. We made it. (laughs) That's incredible. It was scary for sure. (laughs) Yeah, that's always a unique story with each academy that I talked to, how they navigated that or didn't or just transitioned to something else completely, unfortunately. We had that thought a few times for sure. Like, what are we going to (laughs) do? Did did it get that dire at times? We were close for about seven months. It was scary. It does seem like you guys have a pretty uh, amazing culture there. How did you develop that culture? How do you maintain that culture? I have a lot of Air Force people and they're amazing. We're right by Luke Air Force Base. So we do get a lot of Air Force people. I think they're just really searching for that sense of belonging. And Hmm. so I think this is like their family. It really gives them something while they're here. Some are only here for six months, you know, and Hmm. some are here for years and we love them and then they leave us. So it's Hmm. a... A bittersweet thing being near the Air Force Base, but I do think their vibe is a huge part of it. It's people from all over the world, you know, and once they walk in the doors here, we're all the same. So, I mean, it's it's amazing. And our kids, too, they're just they're welcoming. And, you know, we get new kids in. Everyone fights over who gets to work with the new kid. So it's great. And I think it trickles down as the new person comes in. They feel the same thing. It's one of our biggest compliments we get is the vibe of the gym. Yeah, it's, it seems that way. I was looking through a lot of your photos and you have quite a diverse community, which is really impressive that you incorporated all these different types of people and uh, everyone's always smiling. You know, there's definitely a sense of happiness is sort of how it trans. You never know through photos, but it consistently kind of looks that way. It's pretty real. You know, we, yeah. we both, this is what we do for a living now. I was an office mm. manager for a dentist for 20 years. And so mm. now this is my job. And so who can complain about that? We're pretty happy. Not everything is always perfect. So have you ever run into like challenges with, uh, I mean, you know, I'm not asking you to name anyone, but certain students or something like that, where you guys identify like, hey, maybe this isn't the best fit, or maybe we need to talk to someone about changing a, a certain aspect of uh, how they're approaching this. We have. We have actually noticed, though, that if someone comes in and sometimes we feel like they're not going to fit, they either change or they tend to leave on their own. 
which Hmm. it isn't real often. It seems like they come in and they kind of adapt. And it's, you know, you see this transformation in people. I would say the hardest thing for me, I'm the kids coach for the most part, is the parents sometimes. (laughs) They're a little tougher, you know. We're pretty straightforward now. We've gotten better at it. When we first Mm. opened, we were really easygoing. We would just let parents coach and get up in the, the business, you know, of the kids on the mat and We slowly decided, you know, we have to put a stop to this right away. We were having parents, you know, not getting along with each other and kids not wanting to train because someone's parent was yelling at them, you know, during a match. And so we've now, during our moves, we adapted our gym to that. So we've Mm -hmm. got our parents kind of set back a little farther. We have a list of rules right in front of them. And if we hear someone, we're both really good now at, you know, immediately trying to stop that. I'm all Mm -hmm. about positive reinforcement. I don't want someone yelling at their kids. And if they're not comfortable with us, you know, then we we're not the right place. They they brought mm-hmm. them here. They're paying us. <laughs> Let us teach your kids. What is the Deboa Discovery team? So we've actually gone out and fed the homeless. We go downtown. Uh, we've done feed your starving children. That's where you. I don't know if that's all over, but here in Arizona, you go and you package up food and and hand it. You know, actually package it all and they send it out all over the world. So we've done that. We've done. Um, we have a little girl. She's one of our. I'd say our student, but he's actually been with us since we started. So our one of our friends at this point. <laughs> he's a black belt as well, but his daughter had a heart defect when she was born. So we kind of started a foundation. She had to have several surgeries where we did for Valentine's Day. Everybody made hearts. We called it hearts for Riley. So they made a heart shaped Valentine's and took them out to the children's hospital. So a lot of different things like that, where we're just helping out in the community. Can you tell me something like a time when you saw something in jujitsu that changed the direction of like, was sort of like an aha for you in terms of your teaching? I think it happens all the time. It's really crazy. But I think since Mm. I got my black belt, I feel like I've learned more than I have in my entire journey. And I've been a black belt for three years now. And Mm. I feel like my aha moments are always something little that I'm, it just seems like a dumb move that it's crazy that this changes everything. And sometimes it's the kids. They actually, I think they just don't think like we do. They just do stuff, you know? And so all of a sudden I'll see some move that I think, wow, that was really good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so it's kind of amazing. We we overthink everything. They don't. Mm-hmm. What is just a girl in a jujitsu world? So we talked a little about this before we went on. But um, when I started, I was the only girl. There was, you know, eight men and me. And then, you know, we when we moved over to a new gym again, it was, you know, 30 guys. <laughs> and I was always the only girl. We'd have a girl kind of come through here and there and not stay. So I think it, it's not really... It doesn't work anymore because I don't feel like this is such a male dominated sport anymore. And that's kind of what it was about. And now I feel like I just went to a girls and geese and there was 200 girls there. So there's a lot of women in jujitsu now, (laughs) but that's what that's what it was. We actually had a gi company and a clothing company as well back in the day. What makes a great jujitsu student? I think someone who feels like they're home when they come in here and they welcome the next person. So each new person coming in the door is helping the next student. It's not about being good at jujitsu. I think it's about putting your heart into it and trying your best. You know, again, I feel like that's what makes us a lifestyle school. We're not about like, you know, opening 15 schools and winning the world championships, which would be awesome. Not about opening 15 schools. I don't want to do that, but (laughs) it's more about doing this for the long term trying to keep people from having a shelf life. You know, we get the new guy that trains three times a day and lasts for two weeks because he overdid it. So Mm. I think the good student can pace himself, help others, teach, learn. Improving your mobility and recovery will only benefit your BJJ and as such 
we highly recommend you try Yoga for BJJ at yogaforbjj.net. Use our code FWB, all uppercase FWB, to get 20% off your subscription, yogaforbjj.net. What are the most common sort of issues that you see with students and uh, your advice to address them? I would definitely say the overtraining, especially mm-hmm. for newer people. So I think that you get in and, and I get it because I did it too, but I just love jujitsu so much. I train twice a day. Every single day, I'd have people meet me on the weekends to train. And I was probably lucky, I guess, that I didn't burn out. But we do see that. So I always try to tell people when they're new, you know, try to do four or five days. Don't go twice a day. Four or five days. Build it up. They end up getting hurt because they're overdoing it. I think, you know, just pacing yourself. How do you feel about warm-ups? What are you guys doing for warm-ups? We do um, some running, mat drills, uh, a lot of drilling. We like to drill. (laughs) So we, we warm up with that typically, and then they usually have something to do with whatever the t- technique is we're doing that day. So we'll kind of make the warm ups about that, getting people's you know necks warmed up if we're going to be doing any kind of inverting, things like that. How are you guys thinking about your curriculum? My husband does most of that, and we're usually on about a two-week curriculum where we stay guard for two weeks, guard passing for two weeks, back, things along those lines, and then we add in submissions in between. So what are your thoughts on belt testing? We don't do belt testing at all. We actually, um, it's pretty impressive. Again, I'm giving my husband some props right now, but I feel like he knows what belt and how many stripes every single student in this gym has. It's pretty wow. crazy. So he's, he's really good at that. And, you know, everyone has their own journey. So I think the testing is really hard. We have some students who you can watch them roll. They're winning tournaments. You know, they're using great technique. And if you ask them to do an arm bar from guard, they struggle with it. So Um, I feel like a lot of it is how people perform in front of others. So they get nervous and they can't do it, but it doesn't mean they can't do it. They're perfectly capable. And my mom, she trains jujitsu. I don't know if you've seen that on any of my social media, but she's 72 Mm -hmm. years old. And, you know, she does things different than the rest. She can't remember things as well, but she's been training six years. She's a blue belt. She's got lots of knowledge. But if again, you know, on the spot, she struggles a little bit because of her memory. So she would definitely not be tested the same way as a 20-year-old guy, you know, that's athletic and young. Yeah, it was really neat to see her speak because, uh, number one, she seems to really love what she's doing. And number two, she seems really proud of you. She is. She's amazing. Every day she comes in here, we, we both, my husband and I say like, she's so cool, you know, and she's so tough and she gets out there. You know, I had her come in just to learn some technique, just in case of an emergency. You know, we have the gym. She might as well take advantage of it. And the next mm-hmm. thing I knew, she's doing everything. She rolls with everyone. I have to actually watch her because she likes mm-hmm. to pick the biggest guy in class and she's four, eight. She weighs 90 pounds. So speaking of gigantic, strong women, your game as well, let's talk about that, the evolution of your game. You are, if it's fair to say, on the smaller side, right? So how do you adjust your game? I am. So the last few times I've competed, I'm going to have to put my age out there. I'm, I'm 52, so I'm master's five, and I weigh 120. I typically do the 118 division, and there's never anyone in my division. So I always have to go up and weigh down in age, something along those lines. The last year I had to go up two weight classes and it was my first time at black belt. And I actually had a girl tell me to work on my grips. And she was a little tiny girl that fought in the open weight a lot. That has been huge for me 
like I can close things down. And, and so that's helped me a lot. And in the gym, you know, I fight men all the time that are bigger than me, but they don't roll with you the same way as a girl in a tournament who's actually trying to kill you, you know. <laughs> so that's been a huge part for me and, and keeping a little more distance when I have to go with people who are bigger. So I'm curious about this grip topic that you brought up. What do you mean by working on your grip? Can you give me a couple scenarios? So a lot of uh, what I've been doing is, is kind of, you know, the, the rolling the fingers in, which is pretty typical, but a lot of hunching kind of like downward and stiff arming. So I'm not having mm. to use quite as much strength in my hands, but being able to hang on because, you know, the, if they can break the grip off, I'm in trouble if they're bigger. Mm. So I'm really trying to focus on keeping and grip switching, you know, climbing like a ladder. If I let go of one, I'm making sure I get another good grip right away. Now, you also mentioned uh, distance management. How are you dealing with uh, distance management? I, I tend to like to play underneath. So I play guard, mm -hmm. but I kind of slide under the person a lot. And that's just, I don't know, that's been my typical game. I don't know if it's just a habit at this point. But again, two years ago, when I had to go up and wait, I felt like this girl was just on me, you know, smashing downward. And I've spent the entire match, you know, just trying to keep her from smashing me. Mm -hmm. And after that match, you know, I, I had my husband tell me, you know, to kind of play more of a middle guard, not so much underneath when someone's bigger. So a little bit more of like, Della Hiva or leg lasso, keeping the feet on the hips and the distance to where I'm not underneath. So that's kind of been my last year of things I've been working on. <laughs> it seems like being underneath would be sort of a scary proposition, like there's not much room for error there. I've seen you playing like this, and perhaps it was just for the demos and stuff, like a spider or like a lasso type of game quite a bit. So I, I imagine, I mean, you're black belt, so I'm, you can do anything, but you're not, you're not the big deep half person or half I am guard. not. Okay. I am not in my yeah. mind. And, and, you know, I'm not going to say this is right or wrong, but I feel like someone's halfway past my guard. Whenever Me someone too. pulls half guard, I think like, why would you do that? That's terrible. But, you know, people are so good at it. I'm not. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> it's not my Agreed. area. <laughs> yeah, I'm not yeah. trying to be there. What do you wish you were better at? Probably patience. Again, another thing I've worked on this year is patience in positions where I'll start to think that I don't have something, so I'll move on. And then I constantly will have someone tell me, oh, I was just about to tap. If you would have just held that a couple more seconds. So that's my thing I'm, I'm really trying to work on. I'm not patient in life either. So it's not just a jiu-jitsu thing, <laughs> but I'm, I'm working on that holding things a little bit longer, holding positions a little bit longer, being patient. To touch on that too, where do you want your game to go? <sighs> I don't know. I'm always trying to come up with things that are new. And I always think, you know, that I made something up. And then my husband tells me that uh, someone else, you know, it's got a name already. He'll give me the name for it after I say, look at this thing I made, the 50-50 mm. arm bar, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so this last one, I'm totally going to take credit for my Jiu-Jitsu World League move. I feel like I made it up. So anyone can challenge me on that. <laughs> Do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I probably didn't, but I feel yeah. like I did. I've never seen it before. <laughs> can you describe that move? And people call things different things. So that's another area where I always called, I guess it's called K-Guard now. And mm -hmm. I always thought it was called cross-guard. So for me, that's, that's the same thing. I don't know if it is, but cross-guard is, you know, where you've got your foot in the armpit, your knee mm -hmm. is kind of behind their knees. You're kind of inverted upside down. This particular move is leg lasso. And a lot of times people will try to pop your foot out of the leg lasso. And as they do, they step next to you on the same side as the leg lasso. So I'm reaching with my opposite arm to their pant grip and tucking my knee in and kind of hitting into like a K guard position. So I still have my leg lasso and the K guard. 
And the way it kind of came about is one of the girls I was rolling with when I got to this position, she rolled over like the front roll and it landed right in an Americana. And so I wanted to look at it again and again and again and figure out how to get the person to roll. So pinching the knees, pulling them over your head automatically makes them roll. They land right into an Americana. Playing with it, I found, you know, found a knee bar in it and an ankle lock. (laughs) Do you play with uh, many of like the new cutting edge moves at all? I mean, will you play with like a buggy choke or like that kind of stuff? I do love to play with new stuff. I feel like I get bored really easy. So that's something that always keeps me excited for jiu-jitsu. If there's something new that I like, then I feel this regenerated feeling that I I can't wait to get in and I want to look at this. I want to work on it. So I, I do feel like I enjoy that kind of stuff for sure. Your advice to people that are running into plateaus? So I think it happens a lot. It seems like it white and blue belt. I don't feel like it's happened to me quite as much as I've gotten farther up the belt. I've never had a time where I felt like I wanted to quit jujitsu. I definitely felt like I forgot how to do everything. That's happened a lot, (laughs) but I've never felt like I wanted to quit. And I've definitely seen that happen. I think it's really important to continue to come, never take more than three weeks off. I feel like that's the limit of you've exceeded, you know, where it's hard to get your routine back again. But I think maybe trying a new move, because that seems to be when I'm excited again, is if I start finding something new, even if it's something you're not that good at, everyone's beating you at it, but you're just working on it and you can kind of find a new excitement. Have there been any positions perhaps at lower belt that you were like, I don't think this move is for me. You know, perhaps you just weren't successful with this thing that you later revisited and incorporated back into your game. Yes, all the time. (laughs) I still will say someone will show something and I'll say, why did I stop using that? I think I liked that move, you know, or I just must not have been quite ready for it. But even as simple as a leg drag, I was terrible at leg drags. I just couldn't figure out how to do it right. And so I just stopped doing them. And now they're a big part of my game again. But it was that I just was missing pieces and, you know, needed a little tweaking on it. Is there a year point or something for you where you felt like, I'm getting this? I remember I talked to Carl Prevec, the Silver Fox. He's a black belt under the Henzo Gracie flag. I remember he's like, for me, he's like, it felt like 10, 11 years. He's like, I'm amazed I didn't quit. And then it just clicked. So being the old girl quite a while, I actually had kind of the opposite problem is I got a lot of compliments that I was good. And, you know, and I would have the opposite thing happen where I felt like all of a sudden someone my size would come and just beat me up. And then I would feel like, I thought I was really good at this. (laughs) And everybody's been being nice to me. And so those are usually my most frustrating moments. And it still happens to me because there isn't anyone in our gym that's my size and my belt. So unless I go to a tournament, I have no idea how people are really rolling with me. I mean, Mm. I know the newer people are rolling with me completely, but people that are my belt level, they tend to go a little bit lighter, put the pressure down, you know, things like that. So that's been my frustration a lot is not really knowing where I am. I fall into the same category. So I empathize with you greatly. I'm also master's five and I'm like a light middleweight. I'm like a 170 pounder. So I also either have to go really young or against really heavy guys. And it always makes me wonder, where am I really at in terms of my peers, my peer peers? Yes. And that's a huge challenge. One of the things I want to ask you too is your advice to middle-aged female practitioners, perhaps that are just getting into this, what advice would you give them? So when I started, I had to roll with everyone. There just wasn't an option. 
there was only a few of us. And so most of my injuries came from that beginning stage during being a white belt. I hurt my neck, my knees, several different things. And saying no was not an option. And I'm pretty, you know, now I won't roll with people that I'll watch them first and see how they do. I try to roll with everyone if I can, but there's definitely, you know, I'll, I'll watch a new big white belt before I'm trying to roll with them, especially if he's a wrestler or something like that. So I do tell the girls, you know, to ask their instructor who's safe for them. We get girls that come in, you know, 35, 40 years old and small and just trying to roll with everyone. But I feel like we have an option now. And it's not helping people if they come in and just get their arm broken or something. So I I try to have them go with people who will be safe for them. I'd say higher belts for the most part. I love that you came up with a a date too of like three weeks being away because I noticed now, you know, little things like allowing your arm to pop at an arm bar or something early on like I used to or something like that, which could be nagging me for a year or something like that. Not take me out necessarily, but it definitely impacts your game, but other things can take you out. How did you come up with that three weeks? I think what it is, is you have to decide whether it's an injury or you're just hurt. During an injury, you should definitely probably not be training if you broke your arm. But if you hurt your arm, you can kind of modify things. And a lot of, for me, I've learned so many new things during the time I've had something hurting me because I had to use my other arm or my other leg and, you know, just figure out things. In fact, the move that I did for Jiu-Jitsu World League kind of came out of, I got my hand smashed and I couldn't use my right hand. So I was doing a lot of things to try and keep someone away from me without using my hand much. I could just block. And I felt like during that time, I learned so much. But if I had taken a month off because my hand hurt, getting back in my routine would have been tough and I wouldn't have learned all those new things. Can you tell me a time when you experienced something in jujitsu that perhaps changed the direction of your jujitsu? I think teaching. And I encourage everyone to teach if they can. I've learned more doing that because, especially with kids, because they will totally call you out if you do it wrong. So teaching has been huge for me. You have to kind of think it all out. I've even caught myself while I've taught something thinking, I'm showing this right now, but I'm not doing it when I roll. Why am I not using this? You know, but I'm showing it to someone else. So I think that's where you realize you have this knowledge that you're kind of skipping over because you get comfortable. I know you've competed quite a bit. Can you tell me about your competition experiences? I know you've shared uh, some of it. Can you walk us through the spectrum of your competition experience? Yes. I did my first competition about a month into jiu-jitsu. <laughs> and I was kind of, you know, encouraged back then. The only girl, oh, you're good. You should do it. You got to get out there. And so I ended up fighting this girl who I have, I think we fought like six times. We were the only two girls, you know, ever, you know, out there for white and blue belt here in Arizona. And she was six feet tall. She was in the 118 division. So we had some fun matches, but she was my first one. And I ended up winning. I don't know how. I actually have severe performance anxiety and I still have it even as a black belt. So it it has not gone away. I've learned how to deal with it, but it has not gone away. And I actually don't remember my match at all. My first match, I watched Mm. it back and I just was blanked out. And I fought during white belt, I would say six or seven times a year, because back then it was a little bit easier. I at least had her and I'd get Mm -hmm. a new person once in a while. But after purple, it was really hard for me to get matches here in Arizona. Mm -hmm. Now it's big. You know, I'm just like one little step ahead. (laughs) So there's just not a lot of us that are black belts here. 
And if so, wow. we're completely different ages or sizes. So I have to go usually to IBJJF tournament, a bigger, you know, something out of state sure. yeah. to get a mat. And I yeah. did. I used to fight adults always. And the girl I fought was an adult for years because that's all there was. There was no masters for mm. women. And then when I became a blue belt, they started having just a master's one, even at IBJJF. So it was quite wow. a while before they added those extras. <laughs> it was good and bad. So many people share it with me, um, performance anxiety. Can you share some tools of how you cope with these type of experiences? So for me, and I know everyone's different, I literally have to not think about the tournament. If I start thinking about my match and what I might do and watching what the other person's doing, I actually feel like I want to leave when I get there. And I think, why did I do this? Why did I sign up for this? Mm -hmm. And I've never walked away from one, but I have definitely been like on that edge many mm -hmm. times. But I think just not overthinking it, relying on my jujitsu and thinking, you know, I do this all the time. I'm just going to get out there and, and do what I do. I've in the last two years started doing yoga. And that has been huge for me because bringing your heart rate down kind of gets rid of a lot of that anxiety. Mm. So I've had the last two years of tournaments where I actually didn't feel nervous. I was kind of waiting for it to happen and it didn't. So I'm going to attribute that to yoga. Can you clarify then the yoga is happening right before the tournament or you're just saying as part of your training program? It's part of my training program. And I've also learned how to breathe through it. So I've been doing what's called the box breathing, where you're breathing yeah. up five seconds and holding it. And that's been huge for me. And I have, um, I don't even know if you know what it is, but subventricular tachycardia, where like my heart rate has actually gone up to like 300. And I've learned to get this to stop. So I can wow. make that calm down. And I was doing it for that reason. And mm -hmm. then I learned... It's helping me for competition now and during rolling. So it's just, it's the breathing, the part of yoga that I think has helped a lot. Well, that's, that's fascinating. We spoke to another black belt gentleman named Joshua Janice, and he is a huge proponent of breathing and the box breathing and the Wim Hof as well. And he even says that it even energizes him and allows him to roll even uh, with more cardio, he feels like. Absolutely. We actually do a brown and black belt training here once a week. Mm -hmm. And it's 10 or 11 rounds with, you know, only black belts and brown belts. And I'm the only girl and I'm probably 15 years older than all of them. And wow. I now can roll the entire time. I feel like I'm hardly short of breath. It's that breathing is huge. What kind of advice would you give to those people that are doing what they can perhaps once or twice a week of training? You know what I mean? And they're just, you know, they're getting their heart broken every time at these tournaments. Right. So uh, we do have that happen. You know, we'll have a student that works so hard and some of them are even like exceptionally good and we're kind of shocked. They just don't perform as well when they get out there. But good so we're point. shocked. We think this person's going to, you know, run through everybody in the tournament and they lose their first match. Yeah. So um, I think what I've learned is, and I'm the same, I'm super competitive and I, I want to win. I have other girls in the gym that are like, oh, I just want to do the tournament. I don't really care. You know, I want to win when I do a tournament. And so I, I get back and I'm beating myself up every time. But I have to think about the training and the preparation. That's the part that changes your life. It's not the tournament. It's, you know, you're eating better. You're working harder. You're training harder. You're working on your mental state. You're bonding with your teammates because you're all in this, you know, emotional state together at the tournament. And, you know, it's that's the experience. It's not getting out there, you know, and winning or not winning. I mean, it's awesome to win. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I like that. But <laughs> but it really is like when they start thinking back when I say that to them, it's like, oh, yeah, I did. I lost 12 pounds. And, you know, I, my eating's healthier now. And mm. I got better at jujitsu. So 
that's the part that you need to take from it. And eventually you'll get the win. I, I didn't win gold at purple or brown at all. And my first, you know, white and blue belt, I was winning every tournament. And so I was just like heartbroken wow. during that time. Like I'm never going to win again. <laughs> so, and then this year I won Masters World. So it's my first gold in quite a while, but yeah. you just got to keep going. Do you have strategies going into tournaments? Not really, because I don't want to know what the other person is going to do. So I guess that's my strategy. I try mm -hmm. to play my own game. I try really hard not to play someone else's game. And I, I tell people like, please don't tell me, don't tell me. Usually I know, unfortunately, because there's not a lot of us. So I know almost all of the girls that I compete against. Mm -hmm. But again, I still like no matter what I know for me, my game changes. So someone might come in and be like, oh, she's going to pull guard. And, you know, I've been working on my takedowns. So for me, that's that's the reason I do it as well. I'm going to play the way I want to. Your advice to coaching at competitions? I think staying calm and letting the person do a little bit of what they're comfortable with and helping them where it's needed. So I feel like I can definitely, I do it sometimes even with the kids. I, I work hard not to, but I'll overcoach. Or it's like... Mm. If they know this already. I don't need to be yelling at them the entire time. It's just kind of talking them through the positions or telling them to maybe watch for something, keeping it simple. Your thoughts on the the new the kids that are coming up, the new talent? We started with all white belts when we opened. We didn't, you know, have a lot of kids that came with us. I we actually didn't work with the kids program at our old school. So, you know, we started fresh with white belts. So we've actually got to experience it ourselves throughout, you know, the seven years where we've got some kids now that are so good. It's it's amazing. I think yeah. the hardest is the teenage years, trying to keep them excited about jujitsu during that time. You know, they start mm -hmm. finding sports or girlfriends or whatever and, you know, back away a little bit. So keeping mm -hmm. them excited in here. A lot of our kids are, are friends outside of the gym. So they kind of look forward to coming in here because they're going to come hang out with their friends. Mm. But I think they need the same thing as the adults is something exciting all the time. You know, a new move that they're looking forward to. I think they get bored too. It needs mm -hmm. to be challenged. So your advice to retaining those for academy owners, those teenage kids, what kind of tools or uh, activities or what do you do? We really try to encourage them, you know, a lot of them do wrestling is to at least come in once a week if they can and do jujitsu too. So they're incorporating that with their game. And a lot of these kids that did jujitsu, they get out there for wrestling and they're just exceptionally good because of their jujitsu. So if they can kind of keep both, then that helps a lot. But it's definitely the hardest area, I think, is keeping them, you know, we do have, you know, lifetime memberships and sometimes the parents will do the lifetime membership to try to, you know, they'll come back when they're done with the sport and that helps. You know, sometimes they need a break. Right? We've seen some kids play soccer for a season and come back and mm -hmm. enjoy jujitsu more. And I think they can overtrain as well. We, you know, five days a week sometimes it's just too much for some kids. So your thoughts on the future of jujitsu, where do you see jujitsu going? I just hope that, you know, people don't water it down and we all keep making it an important thing to follow through the, with the belts and making people work hard for it because getting to each level of belt should be a sacrifice and hard work. So I'm hoping that it does not get watered down ever. I know there's definitely little areas of it that I've seen, but I think it needs to be a big deal. You know, each, each step you take throughout it, how long you can stay. You know, when I started, I was told like girls never last in jujitsu. And I feel mm -hmm. like that was one of the things where I was like, oh, I'm going to last. Like that made mm -hmm. me want it more. 
I think making it too easy for people to get through the belts sometimes gotcha. like, okay, I'm, I've accomplished it. I'm done. You know? So your thoughts on like self-defense jujitsu? I think that all jujitsu is self-defense. Hmm. So I have actually gone to some self-defense classes just to kind of see what other people are doing. And I feel like it's definitely the most practical self-defense, especially for women at my age, at least I'm not going to a bar and getting in a fight. So I don't feel like I need to be out learning how to fist fight. I hope that never happens. <laughs> but <laughs> I think more likely for women, you know, someone's going to grab us when we're not looking and we're going to have to figure out how to escape and at least make a big scene while we are, or, you know, you get taken somewhere and you can figure out a way to get out with the skills. And just, I think a lot of it too, is being more aware when I think when you do a martial art, you tend to be a little bit more aware of your surroundings for your self-defense reasons. So your thoughts on these weekend women's self-defense classes, I had a friend, John, who brought up on his podcast that he was a little bit critical of it. And I think fairly so. I really did uh, gleaned a lot from what he said, but I think it does give women sort of a, a false sense of security. Can you tell us about your experience? Have you experienced any classes like that and your thoughts on those? Yeah, I absolutely agree. Hopefully I won't get <laughs> scrutiny for it either, but um, I don't think you can go to one self-defense class and be able to defend yourself. It comes from muscle memory. You have to do this all the time. I mean, I know if someone goes to throw something, I automatically am blocking my head because I do this all the time and people, you know, almost kick you in the face. You still get all of that blocking motion that you get from boxing or karate and things like that. So I think it's not going to be realistic if your body's not used to doing it. Can you talk about any jujitsu practitioners that you admire? I think Bianca Bastillo is my favorite. I don't know if you've watched her, but she mm. just looks like she's having so much fun and her energy. She comes out just with a smile on her face all the time, wrecks people while she's having a good time. I love that. I enjoy jujitsu. So I, I feel like I have fun while I'm doing it. That's what I want. I don't want to go in feeling like I'm fighting because I'm angry. I'm fighting because I love this sport. So I just, I love to watch her. She's so good. So Leslie, where can we get more information about you and everything that you're up to? So I have a website and it's called Just a Girl in a Jiu-Jitsu World. I do have some things on there, a lot of blogs. Since we opened the gym, I haven't been quite as good on my blogs, but I do have some great information on there. Um, I also have a Facebook page under Leslie Gardenier and an Instagram under Leslie Gardenier. And you can also find us on deboabjj.com. And I have to second, the blog is fantastic. The one I've read too on the Deboa website as well is fantastic, that blog right there. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, everyone. Well, thanks for listening and watching. Again, please give us the five-star reviews on uh, you know, Spotify, I'm, uh, Apple Music, and all the places. I am your host, Adolfo Fronda. Thanks for listening to us too. Again, Leslie, thanks so much for your time. I, it was really an honor. Thank you for making the time for us. Thank you. Thank you for having me.